Everybody, <laughs> we're still wrong. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna come back in. There. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Oh, good lord! I did hey, it for everybody. you because you were forgetting, and then you undid yourself, and then yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we we just had a little like technical wrestling match right before the show we started, yeah. and it went wrong. Yes, uh, it did. <laughs> I think it was my fault. Uh, well, anyway, welcome everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the True Crime Squad. This is Katie Weaver. I'm here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. How's, How's it going? going? Oh, it's good. We were just watching uh, RuPaul's Drag Race uh, Celebrity Edition. Oh, good Lord. And Was then awesome? I had to pause it and I told Rhonda, uh, I got to go talk about murder now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, That's man. my life, you guys. That is my life. And that's okay. I was at the doctor's office today, and one of the receptionists, who I have never met before, as I'm paying, looks up to me and goes, so do you think they have enough evidence to get her? Like, are they going <laughs> to convict her? And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, they are. She's mm -hmm. like, okay. She's like, I've just been nervous. And I was like, well, did you hear about the details today yet? And she's like, no, I've been working. I was like... It's going to be okay. But it was so funny because I have no idea who that is. But anyway, so, but if she's watching, hi. <laughs> I got my hair cut this morning and had a similar conversation with three hairdressers. So mm -hmm. everywhere we go now, well, really oh, yeah. for a long time, I've been talking about this case to all of my doctors, massage mm -hmm. therapists, eye doctor, whoever, and wherever I go. It's just in your head, man. It's just mm -hmm. in your head. Yeah. Well, and everyone knows. <laughs> you <laughs> grand quit RuPaul when Chad Michaels didn't win. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I get having a having a favorite queen, but I can't quit watching. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we just finished season 14. I know season 15 just wrapped up. I haven't seen it yet. So don't tell me. Okay. I'm still stuck on Willow Pill. Not a word. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Phyllis, because I've really got a case of <laughs> some real wild hair going on here, and there's just nothing I can do about it. Well, I, I've got this situation that I oh, don't know what's going on with. We're both a little out of pocket. Well, it looks fine, <laughs> actually. I, uh, You guys know I sit on the board of our local uh, softball association, and I had to go sit with 10 U games today, and it's really windy. So I tied my hair up, and now it's just in this knot that it's going to take shampoo to get out. <laughs> so, so here we are. <laughs> it's all right, though. It's good. It was good. Um, yeah, and uh, Mars's team over the weekend, they won their 34th game and took second wow. place in their conference. And now they go on to the district tournament, or the, sorry, the regional tournament over the weekend. So they'll that be playing against awesome. teams from Montana, North Dakota, and Ohio, I believe. Wowza. That yeah. Exciting. So then if they win that, then they'll head out into the Midwest for a series. And if they win that, they'll go on to the World Series. So That is so awesome. Yeah. Either way. Or, or they're done and they come home. So, you know, either, either way. way. I'm good either way. They've had a hell of a season. They have played so well. She has played so well. I'm just dazzled and the team she's going to next year 
also won their conference and are going on to districts. Uh, yeah, so I've been following both teams. It's been a lot of fun. So that's fantastic. Anyway, lots of good stuff. But I know some of uh, some of our listeners protested uh, too much banter in the beginning, so we'll try and not be too bantery. But that's what's up. <laughs> We're very good at talking. Okay. <laughs> Very, very good at it. We both talk for a living. You can tell. (laughs) So good to see you guys all in the chat and welcome. And I hope you guys all had a decent weekend. Please, please have a decent weekend. Uh, You know, we all said on Friday, we're going away. We're not going to talk or think about this case for the weekend. And if you think I didn't talk and think about this case all weekend long. I know. You can't not. Mm -hmm. You can't not. It's just. I, yeah, there's always another thing we're waiting to hear, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Well, and I just like you can't escape it on social media. And sometimes I see people like ask a question or say something that I'm like, I don't do social media fighting. I, I try not to. Sometimes we get comments here on YouTube that I can't resist, but um, typically no. <laughs> but sometimes I have to be like, well, just so you understand, this is why this happened. The big one is still the death penalty. My God, how have we not crossed this threshold yet that people understand why it happened? I know. I think it's mostly um, because people are mad that it happened. So Mm -hmm. they don't accept why it happened. Yes. That's kind of what I find. Like, like, this is what, you know. Right. Oh, what? I keep finding people that are trying to, you know, yell that it was corruption on the judge's part and stuff. And I'm like, I've, you know, I, yeah, you've I've got had to some, understand what actually happened. Had some conversations there, too, because, no, I mean, really, he, he he saved the day. He saved this mm-hmm. case by doing what he did. Or right. they would have had to start over. Start mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. Do any but, of us have that in us? But can we um, all pause for just a moment to giggle just a little bit? That John Pryor was so insistent that he had to have his his extension. He wasn't ready. He wanted to see the rest of that evidence. He wanted his crack at the apple. All of that nonsense, right? Had he not done that and gone to trial, he also would have gotten the death penalty off the table for his client. But he just wouldn't do it. Right? I know. Talk about I wonder. cut off your nose to spite your face or shoot yourself in your own dick or any way you want to slice it. <laughs> I think he did that, it all. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going yeah. with number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep, for sure. So, and and also with Lori, again, Idaho doesn't put women to death. She might have been sentenced with the death penalty, though I kind of doubt it, to be honest. But even if she had, we have never Mm-mm. in the history of this state put a woman to death. Mm-mm. Robin Lee Rowe's been on death, on death row for 30 years for killing her family, yeah. burning her house down and killing her family. And yep. she still has not been executed it's yeah. not gonna happen it would never happen so she would just sit on death row forever anyway and have way more appeals so let's mm-hmm. just but also oh chad 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 let's take this moment chad to have a little talk you're fucked because mm-hmm. everything that has come oh, out here oh. is pointing so many fingers at you yeah. you don't get the death penalty off the table unless you work a deal right this dang minute yeah. and oh gosh chad you could easily get the death penalty yeah, he could. He could because Idaho does execute adults, men. adult men, and mm-hmm. particularly adult men that have that are involved in children mur- murder of children. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and the evidence about Tylee and the timing and dude, mm. you are screwed. Yeah. Also, Chad, you would deserve it. 
You would deserve it. But also, Chad, your attorney is not a death penalty certified attorney. He does not know how to help you. No. And he was going to death penalty uh, certified attorney school. And then those attorneys got the death penalty dropped. <laughs> so he's kind of screwed. He's missing that class now. He's still in uh, murder attorney school, mm -hmm. showing up at court nearly every day. Uh, mm -hmm. But he's not in death penalty attorney school anymore because uh, his class got canceled. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I talked to somebody last week who told me that their, was it their cousin's boyfriend or something, has been in jail at Fremont with Chatty Boy. Oh, boy. And he said that he spends all of his time in his cell reading the scriptures and writing stuff. Oh, but that's pretty much all he does. What has he written in this time? Has he written a bunch of more weird books that somebody's going to eventually publish? I'll bet Ugh. he has. Yep. I'll bet he has. Not that he can profit from those, but maybe his kids could. Yeah. But, yep. Right. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. That evidence that Pryor was losing his mind over, it didn't have anything to do with Chad. We know mm -hmm. that now. And also, that extra piece that they sent out to have the gene genealogical DNA done on because they didn't have enough to do it otherwise, could be anything. And yeah. what if it's nothing? And it likely is nothing. Yeah. So stupid. No, Pryor's never tried a murder case before. No. No, let alone a death penalty murder case. Jeez. Right. Is Chad banned from the church? He's excommunicated. Yeah, he is. Yep. Yep. Okay. Hi, Nicole. That's okay, though, because he actually thinks he's the real prophet, you know? <laughs> it's a little like this one time when I was an intern as a social worker. And I'm not making fun of any individual people, but I am going to tell you a hilarious story. So I go to the state hospital, like one of the hospitals like Lori was in, and with, with a social worker, because I'm an intern, and we're going to see a particular client that we needed to talk to. So we get in there, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we're sitting in this sort of like general, like like social area where there are a lot of, of patients in the area, in, in this room. Mm -hmm. And we notice these two women staring each other down and then they're staring at us and then they're staring at each other. And one of them walks up to us and says, ah, and, and she had this finger in our faces thing going. And she goes, I want you to know that I'm the real Jesus Christ. She's not the real Jesus Christ. And uh, I was just, literally holding my breath because I wanted to laugh so bad and I knew it would be inappropriate. Also, I would get my ass kicked by two Jesus Christs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I've heard Jesus Christ can pack a punch. Uh, I think so. So it turns out that uh, our client we ended up not being able to meet with them. So we were about done right, right when that happened. And so I am like biting my lip, holding my breath. We get out the doors and you know, these are locked units. As soon as we get out the front door of that place, we both absolutely burst out laughing to tears because it was really funny. And I've, I always think about that with Chad and being the real prophet. I'm, 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 Chad is the real I'm Jesus real Christ, prophet. but Lori is the real Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Chandra, it's a really good question. She said, can he and Lori exchange letters? And the answer is, we don't know. Here's we what we know, know, though. Well, here's the thing. Typically, inmates can exchange letters if they are co-defendants 
or immediate family. So considering that they're married and technically, well, they're not really, co well, they're kind of co-defendants. They're so. co-conspirators though. And I thought co-conspirators yeah. were not allowed any contact. Well, until their trials are over and they're right. convicted and imprisoned. So that's right. the question. No, they can't yeah. exchange letters now. Mm -mm. Sorry, I should have made that clear. No, they can't have any contact with each other currently. But once they're both convicted and in prison, it's possible that they can. Right. Yeah. After that. Yeah. We'll see if they yeah. either of them try to get a divorce or I don't know. Yeah. I just don't Interesting. Know. But we'll have to ask our legal friends to be certain. But that's what I looked it up a couple of times because we've been asked that several times. And that's what I have come up with is that where they are actually married, it's possible that they will be able to communicate. Don't know for sure. But right now, no. God, no. Mm -mm. However, no. I think Chad is done with Lori. I don't think Chad has any interest in talking to Lori. I think yeah. Chad has been done with Lori for, well, about three years now. Mm -hmm. But not done enough to turn on her because he would be turning on himself. Yeah. I don't think he can turn on her without implicating himself. Right? Like, how could how would he possibly be able to do that? Mm -hmm. This is why, and you'd have to have been to this case close to the beginning, there was a big fight because Rob Wood, Prosecutor Wood, had a conversation with Summer Shiflett, Lori's sister, right. in Arizona. And unbeknownst to Rob, her attorney, who is that same guy, and I'll think of his name in a second. I ordered it. You know, it'll be here in a second. Mm -hmm. He, uh, is it Smith? He, mm -hmm. uh, he Maybe. was also... Melanie Pulowski's attorney and Melanie Gibbs attorney. Like, how is he everybody's attorney? But anyway, whatever. Oh, Garrett Smith. There you go. Garrett Thank Smith. you. Yep. It, it came. <laughs> so Garrett Smith, for some reason, decided to turn on his recorder and just drop it in his pocket. So he stood there and recorded this whole conversation between Prosecutor Wood and Summer Shiflet, uh, which was okay. But Rob Wood said to summer that Lori really needed to consider getting a better attorney because mm -hmm. her attorney was Mark Means, who, as we know, was super ineffective and didn't know what he was doing and was constantly trying to make it about himself and defend himself and eventually made himself a witness <laughs> and had to, uh, you know, got if you know, off the you case know. eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, when all of that happened, and also, I don't know if you know this, but Lori had told an inmate at the Madison County Jail that Mark Means was her, <laughs> that she had had an affair with an angel in a previous life and had a blue-eyed angel baby, and that's who Mark Means was. <laughs> he had come back to her in this life to defend her, her blue-eyed uh, angel baby. I, don't know I if mean, you guys that, but. That, that part freaking kills me. Yeah. Especially just looking at Mark Means. Yes. <laughs> But anyway, Mark, so he used to wear a Wood. bandana in court over his face <laughs> yeah. during COVID. Uh huh. Like a some like kind old, of old head and cowboy bandana around. Mm -hmm. Not yeah. much of a blue eyed angel baby, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the blue eyed angel baby got pissed because here's what happened Prosecutor Wood told Summer Shiflet two things. He said, I think Lori needs to seriously consider getting a better attorney because she's super underrepresented right now and Mark does not understand. He'd never even had a felony case before. I mean, come on. And now he's got a triple murder on his hands. Come on, bro. But anyhow, yeah. uh, the other thing he said was that he believed that 
Chad was the mastermind behind this stuff and that Lori had been seriously taken advantage of and manipulated and that she needed to get a better attorney to help her figure out what to do. Yeah. That's what the prosecutor said. So we've always kind of gone on that, that he believed because a lot of people were like, Lori is evil. Well, yes, Lori's evil and she's an idiot. And we know Lori's a lot mm -hmm. of things, but he always believed that Chad was the guy who really was the, the, the brains behind this. It's, it's food for thought. I think they both well, were in various he's ways. the source of the dogma that led them to this place. I mean, you can't, yes. you can't deny that he is the one who created all of the light and dark scale and the zombies and all of that stuff that they've been following, all the past life stuff that he was all the clearing yeah. work that then they'd have to go back and talk to Chad and find out if it was if successful. It yeah. Yes. Anyway, for what it's worth, those things were said by the prosecutor a long time ago. Right. Um, so Garrett Smith took that recording and he thought it was very unfair that they were saying mean things about little Marky Means. So he sent that recording to Mark Means. Yeah. And uh, Mark, you know, flipped the fuck out and tried really hard to get the prosecutor thrown off the case for it. And mm -hmm. basically uh, the judge was like, yeah, he doesn't like you. <laughs> you yeah. But, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, anyway. it went nowhere. No. Other than the judge said that wasn't very cool for one attorney to record another and not tell them. Yeah. That was pretty fucked up. Mm -hmm. And Garrett Smith was like, well, I, I, of course, this is Garrett Smith who <laughs> defamed Brandon Boudreaux so badly during Melanie and Brandon's uh, divorce that Brandon came back and sued him and won for $12 million. Yes. $12 million, people. And he's still all these women's attorneys. Like, what the? He's the ladies in court with Zulema when she was here. I don't know how he had any money to fly here. I don't know. <laughs> There's a Just, lot of things wow. I do not know. Mm -hmm. But I do sometimes miss that blue-eyed angel baby. Because, man, the comedic He was there. good for the comedy. That is mm, for sure. Holy. He was good for the comedy. Mm -hmm. However, today was not funny. But, man, was it telling. So let's get into it. There's a lot Ooh, to say. So we'll is. run through the updates. First, uh, we were not in court today. Uh, Darla was sick, darn it. So we love Darla. Much love to her. Uh, Aunt Sue was in the courtroom, however. So we did have that. But we did uh, just rely today on Nate Eaton's notes. Mm -hmm. So. Whom we Keely, will always very much appreciate. Yes. Keely Coleman was the first uh, the first witness on the stand. I will say that uh, Justin Lum said at the end of court today that he's estimating that we've seen 49 witnesses. With one uh, witness, uh, Detective Chuck Consitus, that was recalled for a second time, mm -hmm. there were over 90 subpoenas sent out. Right. That doesn't mean that they'll use them all. Some of them, it sounds like, may have already been pulled. But it does mean that we're not quite there yet. But nope. we're, we're, we're getting we're there. We're humming down the highway. We're sure. humming. And, and when we see blockbuster stuff car start coming out like it did today, that tells you that we're getting a little closer to the finish line. Yeah. Because they want the real punch in the face to be at the end. They know? do. Because they have not fully proven their case yet. The prosecution hasn't. But they're no. getting there. Yeah. For sure. Getting there. Yep. Well, and the defense initially had said they weren't going to call any witnesses. They had told Nate that at one point. But they made some indication in court today that they may have a DNA expert coming in. So that's going to be interesting, too. I would be surprised if they don't try to challenge at least some of the things that have come up. Particularly some of 
today's things. Frankly, I hope they do because they have been pretty lackluster and I don't want Lori to be able to come back squealing about an ineffective uh, use of counsel. I honestly have a genuine fear that they are, that is exactly what they're doing is that they are being ineffective and they're going to come back and say, we didn't have enough time and we didn't have all the evidence and this and blah, 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 blah. So we have to retry this case or whatever. I don't think they'll get a retrial, but appeals possibly. Mm -hmm. Because they sure aren't trying very hard. There were some things today that I was like, I mean, I'm not a defense attorney, but if I were one, I would have been challenging that they did not challenge. Right. I know. It's 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 weird. It's kind of concerning for sure. Well, let's get into it. So the first person on the stand was Keely Coleman. She's a senior DNA analyst at Bode Technology in Virginia. So remember that last week when we heard from all of the scientists from the Idaho State Lab, they had said that the they had sent some evidence off to a different lab that they weren't able to process. Mm-hmm. And that was the duct tape with the hairs on it. Right. So this is where it went. It went to Bode Technologies in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So they talked a little bit about what DNA is and what kind of controls are used in DNA testing. And she said that they received information from the Rexburg Police Department about the Daybell case. Uh, she did want to look at her notes. They gave her the okay to do that. Uh, pretty much all of these professionals have asked to do that. It's a lot of info, you know, and there's a lot of numbers with the uh, DNA stuff. When you think about how many DNA cases they may be working at a time, like it's mm-hmm. a lot. So she said in May 2022, she received three DNA profiles, one for Lori Vallow, one for Tylee Ryan, and one for Melanie Gibb. She also received several items of evidence, including a hair attached to an adhesive. Remember that? So she said, we were trying to focus on the hair. They had to go through several steps to process it. They determined how much DNA was in the sample and then made lots and lots of copies so that it because that was consumable Mm -hmm. that was the consumable evidence part of it that everybody was so up in arms about yeah yeah there were lots of fights about that that and the uh blood on the pickaxe handle yes both of those things but at any rate uh so they made all these copies so that it's very available for another professional to come and look it back over right so here was the uh the barn burner it was a partial DNA profile, and it matched Lori Vallow Daybell. Uh, she said the probability of randomly se- selecting a random individual in relation to that profile is one in seventy-one billion. Yep. The hair belongs to Lori. Yeah. Yep. Stuck to duct tape that wrapped around JJ. Yep. On the outside of the bags, I think that's important to remember. It, is. it wasn't in on the pajamas where his pajamas could have just picked it up. Mm-hmm. It was on the outside of the bags. Yeah. Yep. Which to me says that Lori completely uh, participated in murdering JJ. Because we know that JJ was wrapped up like that and then he died. Which means Lori and Alex and mm-hmm. maybe Chad. We don't know on Chad. Sounds like it was probably Lori and Alex. Uh, wrapped that little boy up alive. 
and wrapped him in that whole getup so that he would suffocate and die. And yep. she absolutely had a hand in it. And we have yep. proof of that now. Yeah. Yep. That's horrifying. It's horrifying. And yet, this is the evidence we've been waiting for. Everyone has said, we all said it last week. I'm getting nervous. Where's the forensics on Lori? Where's Lori's involvement? We need to see it, right? That's her, yeah. Well, this is it. This is it. There's no more forensics on Lori. This is it. Yep. But what we believe is that what we will still see are the text messages. We still believe that there is a lot of a digital footprint to come. We don't mm -hmm. think we're going to see phone pings anywhere near Chad's residence when Alex was mm -hmm. there. That's not going to happen. She, she wasn't there. Exactly she was how to set up Alex. Yep. They had a whole plan here to keep certain people's hands clean and to protect Miss Lori. It's all about protecting Lori, remember. But guys, it's going to be in this hair and the text messages. That's where it's at. So watch for that. When we start hearing the text messages, that's when we know we're getting close to the finish line. Absolutely. I think you're right. You know, here's the other thing, though, because this was definitely evidence that could have been challenged by the defense, which maybe they're going to bring in their own person and challenge it that way. That's very possible. But why were there no questions about secondary transfer? Secondary yeah. transfer means Lori's hair got on JJ's pajamas or it got on, you know, because mm -hmm. you live in the same house as a person, you find their hair on you sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Or or um, Alex, who had a lot yeah. of contact or, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. Chad, right? Yeah. Why were there no conversations about that? Mm -hmm. Because that is certainly something that they could have challenged this expert with. But they didn't. They, they asked didn't. her a little bit about DNA. And that was kind of it. Yeah. But, but it does make you wonder, like, is this because they're going to have their own expert challenge this entire bit of evidence? Or mm -hmm. is there a strategy here in which they are going to let her be found guilty and then go back in appeals? And, you know, because they, yeah. all of the stuff that came out of Arizona, all of the stuff about Charles's death, all the stuff about the Brandon Boudreaux shooting, they have, um, you know, uh, did not want in and and yeah. got in and i'm afraid that they're going to go back and try to say that all of that evidence should have never been admitted mm -hmm. and that may be their strategy or at least part of their strategy mm -hmm. but that hair was not on jj's clothes it was on the outside of the plastic yeah. i mean how many we've all done duct tape how many times have you gotten your own hair in the duct tape if you had long mm -hmm. hair and you're wrapping duct tape around something how many times have you gotten one of your own hairs in that I we have literally been saying this since JJ was found. Mm -hmm. We have been saying this exact same thing for three years. Yep. The evidence that will convict is on that duct tape. It has to be. Mm -hmm. And it is. Because duct tape picks up evidence. I mean, that is that is a place that we've all done it. You know, you get yep. you get it stuck on your hand. Your fingerprint is in the adhesive. You get your hair in it. Like we've yep. that's such a a universal thing to happen yeah. with using duct tape. So now we have Alex's fingerprints on the duct tape and Lori's hair in the duct tape. Yeah. Yep. All uh, right. I, the other thing, uh, sorry, I just have no, one more soapbox ahead. about this. Yeah. That evidence is not evidence in a vacuum. That is evidence that confirms what we've already heard in lots of other ways. Mm -hmm. And so the DNA by itself you know, even if there's a question about it or if there's a question about when the hair got on there or how it got on there, you don't just look at it by itself. 
we look at everything that led up to this and go, oh, yeah, so she was, you know, she was there, right? Mm -hmm. The maximum yeah. charge on conspiracy is life. Yeah. yeah. She is charged with conspiracy to commit three murders, and she is charged with first-degree murder in two murders. Mm -hmm. So she's got five shots at life, guys. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Do we really think they're that smart? I do, actually. I know that John Thomas comes off like an idiot. And I know that, you know, he tried, well, I saw it in a movie and blah, blah, blah. You need to understand that John Thomas broke a case in Idaho a few years ago that got um, a man out of prison who had been in prison for 22 years for a murder he did not commit. He mm -hmm. is no idiot. No. Look up the Angie Dodge case. And, yep. and we actually covered it if you want to go look it up in our stuff. Mm -hmm. But he is no idiot. Neither is Archibald. They're oh. playing a role. Remember, mm -hmm. law is theater, guys. It really is. They're playing a role. They're coming mm -hmm. across stupid. They have a strategy. They're, they're dumbing down evidence yep. for the jury. Yep, they are. Because they are not dumb. I know it seems like that. But mm -hmm. when it comes to when it really counts, like, I don't know, getting the death penalty dropped from this case, they're very skilled attorneys. Mm -hmm. What they also have not done <coughs> is get their feelings hurt. Engage in pissing matches, waste a bunch of time trying to grab little threads and unravel things. They've been patient. They've waited for the big scores and the big payloads, and they've gotten them. Yeah. 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 So we, we cannot count them out. We cannot yeah. count them out. Yeah. Yep. No, we cannot. All right. Well, let's keep going. So Thomas had just asked a few things about the... Uh, the process of DNA, like it wasn't a lot. And then uh, Wood came back on redirect. And I thought this was an interesting question. He said, your statistics were one in 71 billion. What is exactly does that statistic mean? Coleman said, that means if I were to stick my hand into a hat of DNA profiles, I would expect to see this profile one in 71 billion times. That seems pretty definitive to me. Well, there are 8 billion people on this planet, so yeah. do that math. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, Thomas was given a PowerPoint presentation from the state. He asked for a recess so that he could review it, so that he could know whether to object or not. <laughs> so they took a quick break. Uh, when Again, they came dumbing down, playing dumb, yeah. acting like he hasn't had this evidence before, which is complete and total bullshit mm -hmm. they have all of it and have had it for a long time mm -hmm. but that's strategy mm -hmm. so then the state calls rick wright lindsey blake was on uh direct wright was a F fbi special agent for 24 years before becoming a contract special investigator he was the violent crimes against children coordinator in denver from 2007 to 2018 and his job was to investigate crimes against uh, or involving missing, abducted, and trafficked kids. Man, I would love an afternoon to chat with this guy. Right. Wow. Uh, what That's credentials, man. Job. Yeah. So in 2018, he transferred to the Salt Lake field office and was assigned to the resident agency in Pocatello. Pocatello is about an hour and a half from here, about 90 miles. Uh, he was one of the five special agents in Pocatello at the time. So when the kids were missing and they were first uh, like searching for him, 
outside of behind the the jail they had, there's a big parking lot back there and they brought in an fbi mobile unit mm-hmm. along with several fbi agents you know to man it and it was here for many months and then maybe two or three-ish weeks after they found the kids it was gone but they were here in town working for many months mm-hmm. yeah well so, missing so, children's cases always involved the fbi that's part yeah. of their mandate yeah Yep, for sure. And he would have been uh, one of them that was here. Mm-hmm. So uh, he did say that uh, in the beginning, of course, they only knew that Tylee or that JJ was missing. And then fairly on, they realized that there was a sibling, Tylee Ryan, that was also missing. So there were all these agencies looking into different things. So two police departments in Arizona working on different parts of this, the Fremont County Sheriff's Office, and the Rexburg Police Department were all involved. So Fremont was looking at Tammy's death. Chandler Police were looking at Charles' death. Gilbert Police were looking at the shooting of Brandon Brudeau. Mm-hmm. And Madison was looking at the both of the missing children. Yeah. And then, then in all... come the FBI. Yeah. So this is where it got soups interesting. Blake asks Wright if he met with Ian Pulowski. Ding, 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 ding. Been waiting for his name to come up. Ian Pulowski is married to Melanie Pulowski. But understand, Ian Pulowski and Melanie Pulowski got married the same weekend that Alex and Zulima did. Yeah. That was right around Thanksgiving of 2018. Mm-hmm. And they had only known each other for a couple of months at best. Because yeah. Melanie it also, it, you know, a kind of a little known fact, it never gets talked about, but Melanie also had rented a, a townhome in the same complex where yeah. Lori and Alex were. She had one too, right by Lori. She did. And she met Ian there. Ian was uh, very recently separated from his wife or very recently divorced from his wife. Uh, Ian had some domestic violence charges here in town mm-hmm. and there had been some some big issues in, in that family. And at any rate, those two somehow met up and became a thing. And so, you know, supposed to be part of that 144,000, everybody needed to be married. So they took off to Vegas and got married the same weekend that Zulima and Alex did. Strangely, because again, this is where things really go off the rails for Mormonism. Because right. Mormons don't, true blue Mormons don't usually elope. No. And they usually get married in the temple. Yeah. So I've always found that interesting. Like that was not. But these couples weren't qualified to get married no. in the temple. No, they weren't. Yeah. No. So, um, but you know, they were all ascending to greater heights and didn't need to follow the rules anymore. So. Right. Pretty interesting. And, and who knows? I, I had thought that maybe Chad was going to do a, a ceiling on them, you know, do kind of take it One upon himself to do the thing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So at any rate, um, so Ian Plowski, this gets interesting. We've been begging. I still hope Ian gets on the stand. I was really glad to hear his name today. So after they got married, kind of before and then after, he starts hearing all of this nonsense from Melanie about uh, all of their beliefs and from Chad and Lori's beliefs. And he starts realizing, holy shit, I have married into a complete nest of snakes. Yeah. And so he goes and talks to the police. And says, hey, this stuff is going down. These kids are missing. Like, I'm super uncomfy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisely. Yeah. <laughs> so 
He goes and talks to the police. Uh, after the conversation, Wright said his conversation or his concern for the kids' safety increased. Oh yeah, it should have, mm-hmm. and it did. The police knew from the get-go the kids were gone. They'll say that now. They knew from the get-go the kids were deceased. It was just about finding them. Yeah. Uh, he was asked to consensually record some conversations that he was a part of. So he did. Yeah. So he actually wore a device from the Rexburg Police Department. They have copies of those conversations, and damn it, I wanted to hear those. I know. I I don't know if we ever will, or if they're just using his information, if we'll ever hear from Ian himself on the stand. I know. If we don't, we'll, we will be able to request those later mm-hmm. in public records requests. But I would love to have heard some of that. But yeah. at any rate, uh, then he talked about... Uh, Agent Nick Balance, who we heard from last week, who testified mm-hmm. earlier, uh, he said when records would come in from various phones that we requested from the carriers, they would go to him for analysis, and he was feeding information to us to give us potential avenues of, edu- of investigation. So are you understand? Are you hearing that? They were tracking their phones and what they were doing with them in real time. Yeah. And you know, keying into things that were interesting or concerning. Yeah. And this is December, 2019. Yeah. Yep. So then they start going through this whole slideshow. It was the same thing that was given to Thomas and uh, talking about different uh, people's cell phone activity. And they're really just replaying all of that cell phone activity from Alex's. I'm not going to go through it again. We've been through this several times, but this is Alex from being, at his unit in the complex or at Lori's being out at Chad's house, you know, on the, the key dates that we know about being at the shooting range on the key dates that we know about and basically really tracking Alex, uh, man, he left quite the footprint. He did, but he's the only one who did. This one really interests me. I was talking, I just, I think it was to, to Sue about this the other day. Alex was at Rexburg Maverick at 11.32 a.m. on September 8th. Mm-hmm. And then the breadcrumbs, as it goes, they went to Yellowstone, right? Right. And then they leave the park around 6.40. They stopped and got food. While they were there, they went to Old Faithful. And that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Well... Then that night, he's back at Lori's house around 8.37 p.m. At 9.43, he goes to Maverick again, a gas station for about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it's possible that he bought a can of gas? I do. I think that could be very likely that that was what that purchase was. Yeah. Really made me wonder if that was the moment where, because we know accelerant was used with Tylee, yeah. if that was the moment that he probably had some marching orders from Chad that he's going to need to bring some gas out here. Because it was the next morning that he's out at Chad's house mm-hmm. with Tylee, we think. Yeah. Interesting. Cranky, here's the thing about that with, um, with Melanie and Ian after she found out he was recording her. They went on the news together and did an interview. We have an episode on it. We should probably bring that back to life. Yeah. uh, So that you can hear uh, about that 
because yeah. they did actually interview about it. And, and that's when, you know, Melanie knew by that point that mm -hmm. he had been doing that. Yeah. But Melanie talks in circles to the point that you have no idea what Melanie thinks about anything. Mm -hmm. You think Melanie Gibb is hard to listen to or, or her, her kind of husband. Um, <laughs> Melanie <laughs> Pulowski is word salad. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll bet you that's exactly what that was. Because, yeah, why? And there's a Maverick not very far from where those townhouses were, where they were living. Yep. Yep. That's what I'm thinking. So, but that night, Alex did something totally different than what he normally does. It looks like he was typically at Lori's in the evenings until around midnight-ish, and then he'd go home. Yeah. Well, that night, he was at Lori's house from 2.42 a.m., to 8.49 a.m. In the middle of the night. It was the only time that his he was tracked in that apartment between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m. And that, I think, is pretty telling. Yeah, because that's likely when Tylee was killed. Yep. And they had quite a few data points there. At 4.37 a.m., 4.39 a.m., 4.41 a.m., 5.14 a.m., yada, yada, yada. Yeah, uh, but he was at Lori's house all night, the night that Tylee was killed, but he got there around 2.42 a.m. Yeah. So were we ambushing Tylee in bed? Mm -hmm. It really makes you wonder if they also pinned Tylee down and, and suffocated her. I know, I really do question that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, of course, as we know, then that morning, there's lots of data points showing him out at Chad's house. And then we know <laughs> by 11.45 a.m., he's coming back into Rexburg and stops at Del Taco for 10 minutes. I can never eat at Del Taco again, ever. No. And I used no. to like them. I can't. Like, they did those horrible things to Tylee. And then he goes to Del Taco for lunch. What? Yep. Ugh, awful. Uh, Lori, why are we not hearing any incriminating texts between Lori and Alexander or Chad? Those are coming, my friend. Don't you worry. Mm -hmm. They exist and they are coming. Yep, they are coming. Yep. So I'm going to say, you know, we heard a lot of stuff last week about Alex's pings that made us think that he was there not as long as... Uh, that he was only there a few minutes. But today that's not what was said different. today. Yeah. Yeah. Today they said numerous data points were recorded between 9.15 a.m. and 9.45 a.m. at the Daybell residence. By 11.45 a.m., the device is traveling southbound and returns to Rexburg. There were four major data points Wright observed during the time that Alex was at the Daybell property. A data point appears at the shed at 9.21 a.m., with a six meter radius margin of error. At 9.22 a.m., there's a data point uh, at a gate into the property. It's on that side where the blacktop uh, driveway is. They're out to the back of the property. Mm -hmm. uh, no quality data points are received until 9.39 a.m. Another data point is received at 10.57 a.m., which kind of takes me back to where we had been before last week. Right. That he was at that property for a couple of hours. He was. 
So he at least helped with some of it, but it took way more than a couple of hours to do what they did to her body. Oh yeah. Especially yeah. as ineptly as they did it. Mm -hmm. But it does have to make you wonder. Cause I'll, you know, after that last week, I'm like, Chad did all of this. Chad did all of this. Yeah. No, I think not. I think Alex was there and helped with Tylee. Now with JJ, it's a different story, but mm -hmm. so let's get there. So of course we know that now. So we're going to move to September 22nd. This is the last time that JJ was seen alive. Mm -hmm. uh, Alex went back and forth between Lori's apartment and his apartment uh, a few times between 4.29 p.m. and 12.11 a.m., now, remember that uh, they had company, they were doing the podcast, you know, Chad had been there, Melanie was there, David was there. Mm -hmm. There was all that going on. Uh, <clears throat> Alex does not move from his apartment from 12, 11 a.m. to 9.41 a.m. Mm -hmm. At 9.41 a.m., the device travels from his apartment to Chad Daybell's home. It arrives at 9.55 by 10.12, so about 20 minutes, he departs the residence southbound and goes to Lori's apartment and stays there for an hour. Yeah. So two data points were recorded, uh, you know, near the pond. And, of course, that's why they looked there for J.J. and found him. Right. So, as we know, J.J. was found by the pond and Tylee was found by the, the fire pit. A couple interesting things. Alex visited Dan's window tinting in Rexburg on September 23rd for five minutes. Then he visited it twice on September 25th. They think that, it sounds like they think that he had the windows of the Jeep tinted. Mm -hmm. To make it a little harder to, uh, you know, see who was in it. Mm -hmm. The use of the Jeep, I guess they didn't uh, bank on what good friends Brandon and Charles were. Yeah. Where did Lori say Tylee was that night? So Lori had told Melanie Gibb and David Warwick that Tylee was in college. So here in Rexburg, there is a university. It's called BYU-Idaho. And it's a, it's a Mormon college. And she told them that Tylee was going to college and that she was living on campus. Mm -hmm. Ludicrous because Tylee was 16 and couldn't have been living on campus. No. Definitely not. Uh, and they did have someone from the college earlier in this trial uh, testify that they she had never applied or been a student or anything. No, nothing. It's just a big lie. Yeah. So anyway, so I thought that was interesting about the uh, the window tint. Mm -hmm. So after Lori and Alex abandoned their Rexburg apartments, the property managers found two cell phones in Alex's unit which, of course, the police uh, took custody of. And mm -hmm. they were ones that they'd been purchasing at Walmart. They'd been buying burner phones at Walmart. Yep. Chad had done that, too. Mm -hmm. So they moved to admit the Walmart phone receipts into evidence. And Thomas objected to that. Mm -hmm. I don't why it was overruled. It was more nonsense, but... On September 30th, Alex's device was in Lori's apartment. On October 1st and 2nd, it's in Alex's apartment the whole time. On October 3rd, Alex's device is back in Lori's apartment for the first time since September 30th. 
data points on his phone are recorded at the sportsman's the gun club we talked about the gun club on friday uh then he went to walmart and then back to the gun club i'm guessing he went for more ammo or another gun right. or something i mean he only had 46 guns right well he did a lot of he spent a lot of time at shooting ranges like mm -hmm. a scary amount of time at mm -hmm. shooting ranges he was clearly prepping for things mm -hmm. didn't help he was no, still a terrible not. shot uh yeah. then he visited the gun range again on september 26th and september 27th on yeah. october 7th he visited multiple gun ranges multiple gun ranges in one day and then on december 8th he visited two gun ranges now tammy was shot at in her driveway on october 9th so he was prepping for the final over there going to a bunch of different ranges and shooting to try right. to get you know to be a better shot right yeah what was the deal with the trip to yellowstone Lori? i don't know right i don't know i think well and it was a weird trip they didn't leave until like almost noon and they yeah. were back home by like eight o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And it's a two hour drive to Yellowstone. So they didn't spend very much time in Yellowstone. They like just went to Old Faithful. Pretty much. And which then is they stopped weird... and ate at a barbecue place in West, in West, in West, which was West Yellowstone. a good hour probably too. I mean, yeah, it wasn't much of a trip. No, it really wasn't. And, it, you know, to, to, if you've ever, well, you know, you guys don't live here, so you don't know, but if you, you know, if you're going to drive and go take the day in Yellowstone, because we literally live where you can go do a day trip. Sure. You leave first thing in the morning and you get home well after dark so that you get as much daylight in the park as possible and visit as many places as possible. Mm -hmm. It's really weird that they just did like the one day and it does seem like, was this sort of a goodbye thing or was it to kind of keep the kids from being suspicious that, oh, they're going to do this family thing. Maybe they're back to acting normal again. I, it's odd. Well, like Craig, you said, were they scoping out a way to have an accident? Right. Which is possible. Totally but you can understand possible. how many millions of people visit Yellowstone in a year. Mm -hmm. Yellowstone, unless you know the backcountry of Yellowstone, mm -hmm. it is not a good place to kill somebody. Well, it, yeah. It, unless you know the backcountry. You know, and you're certainly not going to be alone at Old Faithful. There are well, no. zillions of people there. Right. They were right in like the thick of the touristy stuff. Yeah. They if were. you get into the backcountry of Yellowstone and know where to go, unfortunately, it would be a brilliant place to disappear somebody. But right. that's not where they were. Mm -mm. But at any rate, so that that's it is weird. Yeah. But maybe they didn't know that, too, because they are not from here. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you live here, you know, stuff like that, but they wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. So Wright went to Sportsman's and pulled all of the receipts during the time Alex would have been there. And he caught one receipt that grabbed his attention. He said there were around 60 receipts and most of them were paid with credit or debit cards. The one that caught his attention was a cash receipt. There were five items on the receipt, including a pair of frog tog rain pants well, as it happens, the property manager at Alex's apartment had a pair of frog tog rain pants. Mm -hmm. And also, there was a ski mask, soft drink, and gloves on the receipt. When he was at the store, the he also... He wore to shoot at Tammy. Yeah. And well, Brandon, maybe. Yeah, maybe. 
when he was investigating at the store, he learned that a camo beanie listed on the receipt was no longer in stock, but all the other items were. So they had photos of everything that he bought that they could. The gloves were like the gloves that are mittens that uh, you can pull the mitten part off and then you have your fingers clear. I don't know why. That was a weird choice to me. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if that means anything, but. Then they see an image of a three-hole ski mask that he did purchase. Uh, not the actual one, but a picture of one. Mm -hmm. And then the frog tog pants. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, these are the things that uh, they believe uh, that he wore when he shot at Tammy. <laughs> this this search on the Homer J. Maximus account, he searched for frog tog sizing for pants. Oh, his pants, I mean. <laughs> yeah. What size of pants do I wear? Yeah. Mm. So on October 9th, his device leaves Sportsman's at 412, travels north on Ammon in the vicinity of Chad's house. It doesn't stop, but drives by and continues on U.S. Highway 20. Then the driver turns around and drives past the Daybell home again before returning to Alex's apartment at 516 p.m. Then the device remains at the apartment until 1128 the next day. Then they show a canal that's behind Chad's house. And they said the road there is fairly narrow and there's no shoulder. He was looking for a possible location where a person could have gone uh, or if there was a vehicle nearby that could have parked, like a getaway vehicle, right? There's not really a place for a vehicle, he said, but right near where this canal is, there's a little pull-off that would fit one vehicle. Um, so they weren't sure if he'd maybe parked somewhere a little closer than they initially thought. Mm -hmm. uh, when he bought the cell phones at Walmart, he bought one on October 8th, but didn't activate it until October 9th. Then 10 messages were sent between this device and Chad between 7.13 and 10.30. Uh, Alex's other phone was recorded staying at his apartment that entire night. It was the new phone that he was using to text Chad. They get burner phones, but then they're using them um, and still getting tracked on them. <laughs> okay, Jan. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it helped you much. Right. All right. So, however, the cell phone carrier did not keep the text messages and nothing was able to be traced from the new phone. So they don't know what was said. Then they go to lunch. When they come back from lunch, on October 16th, the device associated with Alex left Lori's apartment and went to the Comfort Inn in Hurricane, Utah. Hurricane, Utah is not too far out of St. George, Utah. Yeah, it's quite near. And it's, uh, hurric it's hurricane. Just hurricane, that's right. That's so how they drove, say it. I don't know why. Right, it looks like hurricane, but mm -hmm. okay. So he went to hurricane that night. And then the next day drove into Las Vegas to the airport. And then on the 18th, it went back to Rexburg. Lori had flown from Las Vegas to Hawaii on October 17th. Right. So he was couriering, couriering her. Mm -hmm. Then they had a map explaining his uh, device on October 18th. It was at Chick-fil-A in Idaho Falls. Then it was at the Salem LDS Church near Chad's house from 10.07 to 10.45 p.m. Then from 10.45 to 10.53 p.m. 
without any data. And then the next data point is near US Highway 20 at 11.53. Yeah. The device does not go back to Alex's apartment. Rather, it goes to the Hilton Garden Inn in Idaho Falls. This was the night that Tammy died. So after whatever time he was there, they were in, uh, he went to a hotel yeah. 30 miles away. Like, is that more of their attempts to be tricky? I guess. I don't know. Unless. Uh, I don't know. It, that that one is weird. But yeah. it, it does make me think that this was just an, an attempt to. Yeah. To throw off the. Yeah. The police. It, it didn't work, but. No. Real confused about that. But then again, you know, just to uh, reiterate that. He was right in that area at the, uh, from 1045 to 1153. Now, they don't know exactly what time Tammy died. The original coroner put her time of death at one point. The ME today said something a little bit different, uh, but they don't know for certain. And Chad's data points, or, well, Alex's data points still lead me to believe that Tammy died somewhere around 1130-ish. Yeah. Because I can't imagine Alex wasn't there for this. And we will get into it. Right. Why else would he have been there mm -hmm. that night, especially now that we have the details about how she was killed? Mm -hmm. He was there. Yep. Going in that little back door in that weird garage area. Yep. So no further questions on uh, for him, for, for Wright. Again, Thomas does a cross, acting, asking again about his, uh, all the stuff that he does, uh, all of his training, and then talks a little bit about his interaction with Ian Pulowski. Oh, he asks how long it takes to develop data when you can develop a pattern on a person. He said, if I saw something happen every day for a week at a certain time and place, I would start to think it's a pattern. Mm -hmm. In this case, I only had those two months to look at. He had September and October. He said, when I say pattern, it's based only on that information. Sure. Uh, he said, Alex did but, not have much of a pattern. His activities really varied day to day. Mm -hmm. Well, he wasn't working. Mm -hmm. He was being the warrior, just mm -hmm. doing whatever. He didn't have anything to give him a routine. Like most right. of us would be really consistent, you know, yeah. about when we're home and when we're not, especially if we work outside the home, you know would be really consistent. Yeah. But he didn't have that really. No, no. He was just doing his marching orders. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. I mean, well, he, here was one question he asked that I thought was interesting. Thomas asked right about the phone associated with Alex being at Chad's house on September 23rd. Based on your training, your experience, your knowledge working with the FBI, that's not enough time to dig a hole dig a grave, chop up roots and around the grave, find stones. 17 minutes is not enough time to do all of that. This is what uh, Thomas says to Wright. Wright says he was there when JJ was found and he believes it would have taken a lot more than 17 minutes. Because remember, Alex was only there for 17 minutes the day that we believe JJ was buried. That was just drop off a body. Yep. But remember, Chad's the pro grave digger. Mm-hmm. He even wrote a book about it, literally. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that that was his job, you know. Mm -hmm. 
So Blake on redirect, uh, she asked for clarification on that. She said, you were also asked if 17 minutes was enough to dig that grave. In your opinion, would 17 minutes be enough time for one person to dig the grave? Wright says it would be hard for one person to dig the grave. Blake asked if it was possible for more than one person to be involved. He said yes and reminds everyone that the 17 minutes is the time the device was there and not necessarily the time it took to dig the grave site. Right. Duh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so at this point, Blake asks for a sidebar. Thomas, before he stands up and heads out to the sidebar, turns around and apparently his daughter was sitting right in front of Nate, turns around and gives her a thumbs up and a wink and then heads off to the sidebar. <laughs> and you guys, Thomas, Thomas grinned at us one time in court in Fremont County and I about peed my pants laughing because not in front of him. I'm, you know, I, I'm decent, but uh, he looks like a Muppet. He kind of does. Yeah. He has a real goofy smile and goofy look on his face. I can when only, when I read that from Nate today, I died. I'm like, I know that look. I know exactly what mm -hmm. that looked like. Yeah. Dude looks like a Muppet when he smiles. And that's mm -hmm. all I have to say about that. <laughs> He's damn good at playing dumb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He is not dumb. Mm -mm. It's important to remember that just because this defense comes off like it's inadequate, comes off like looking like they're bumbling, they're not. They're not. They're they not. This a is a game. Mm -hmm. And the, the prosecution knows it. Mm -hmm. They have they do. gone up against yeah. these two men a million times. They have, yes. They know them well. Mm -hmm. Yep. So then they call Dr. Eric Christensen to the stand. This is the chief medical examiner for the state of Utah. Yeah. As we've been waiting for this. We thought this might be the first witness this morning, not the last, but here we are. So he explains his background in forensic pathology. He was a forensic pathologist in Virginia and South Carolina before he came to Utah. So you have to understand, in Idaho, we have coroners. And as you know, they are quite untrained, you know. And they're the person that's supposed to investigate the death and decide if there's anything that needs to come from it. Well, in Utah, they have for medical examiners. Worse. Yeah. Idaho should change how they do things. That's pretty clear, you know. I, I'm never in, going in so to. so many ways. Yeah. I'm never really going to vilify the coroner. I think she did as well as she could with the training she had. She did. But uh, I've seen a lot of really Obviously. mean stuff about her online. And I also talked to a family member who said that she's been harassed horribly. I bet she has. And I sucks. don't think she really deserves it. I know, I know what she missed. I do get it. But for the amount of training that she actually had, and in a county where murder doesn't really happen, maybe it happens right. more than we think, uh, like this was but it's not, not a common thing. No, murder was not on her radar at all. Anyway, so that's all on that. I, I think that it's not fair for her to be doxxed and harassed and threatened. You no, know, she it isn't. She's won another term as coroner since then. I mean, people in Fremont County do have confidence in her. And I'm sure she learned a hell of a lot from this. Oh, I'll bet she did. Because she was present. In Utah, she went to Utah for the exhumation and for the uh, for the autopsy. Yes, she did. So he was present. Christensen was present for the exhumation. He said uh, they like to have somebody from their office there when that happens. He said uh, through his career, he's been involved in a dozen or two exhumations. They aren't common, which 
I would assume that. Uh, Blake wanted to know if a body's exhumed, does it make it more difficult to do an autopsy? Christensen said most of the time the deceased person has been embalmed, so it makes their tissues stiffer, but it also helps to preserve the organs and tissues, etc. So no, not necessarily. He said Tammy's casket was dry and the conditions were fairly good when it came in to do the autopsy. Uh, well, and she hadn't been buried for very long. No. He asked to describe how an autopsy is done. He explained, you know, that they check over the entire body. Fluids are taken. Body parts are examined. It's very thorough. So, of course, samples are collected during an autopsy to assess under a microscope. Bruises, cuts, and scrapes are also examined under a microscope because they give information about how long the injury has been on the body. Again, he reiterated Tammy's cause of death was asphyxia and her manner of death was homicide. We'd heard that uh, in the opening statements from the prosecutor, from Prosecutor Blake. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time we're seeing it like from an ME. So asphyxia means it's simply a process by which a person is deprived of oxygen. They're not allowed to take insufficient oxygen for their life to continue. Uh, Christensen said there were no outward visible bruises or injuries that showed she died of those kinds of injuries. He said there was no indication that Tammy has a history of seizures and her brain was totally normal. Because remember, that's one of the things that Chad was trying to say. That yeah. she'd started having seizures and that she'd been collapsing. And, and these fainting spells and mm -hmm. all these terrible things that were bullshit. Completely untrue. Yeah. So... He also said that uh, people who have seizures, there's often tongue injuries or bowel or bladder issues, and Tammy had none of those things. He also said it would be very uncommon for somebody at 49 years old that was healthy to start just having seizures. Right. There was just no indication in her medical records that she had seizures or heart issues. Then they tested for intoxicants. Blake asked if that meant poisons. He said, yes, that includes that. He said they tested for hundreds of intoxicants, illicit drugs, over-the-counter medications, insecticides, cyanide, heavy metals, phosphate positions, nerve agents. Nothing was found. Yep. Nothing. The tox screen is what we've been asking to see forever. <clears throat> right. So do you know what that means? That means Tammy wasn't sedated. Tammy didn't have a heavy sleeping pill so they could just sneak in there and just put a pillow over her face. That means Tammy fought for her life while those two motherfuckers pinned her down and suffocated her. That's nope. what that means. That is what that means. That's the other reason why it had to have happened when Alex was there. Because mm -hmm. she is a full-grown adult. Mm -hmm. There was no way that Chad, a full-grown adult who, by the way was way into fitness and was likely quite a bit tougher than old Chad. Mm -hmm. And so it would have taken two adult men to hold mm -hmm. her down and suffocate her. Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume that she was asleep. Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume that she was asleep and that they kind of sneak attacked her. But she fought. We know she fought. We know that now. So there was not a toxicological explanation for her death. Court took a break at that point when they came back. Uh, Christensen said that Tammy's organs appeared normal for the most part, but there was fluid in the lungs and a frothy dry foam in her airways. Yep. And they did show pictures of that. Uh, 
At this point, they did show some some pictures that were shown to the uh, audience and some that were only shown to the jury and the prosecution and defense. Pink foam is a manifestation of pulmonary edema. He said he's conducted other autopsies where this foam has been present. Pulmonary edema is a physical manifestation of an underlying process. He said we most commonly see this kind of setting in an opioid intoxication and can be seen in drownings, heart failure, any number of things that can cause pulmonary edema. He said whatever caused the pulmonary edema would be the cause of death. In other words, the asphyxia caused the pulmonary edema. Yeah. Uh, Blake gave Christensen a paper diagram to mark where he located bruises on Tammy's body. So he used a blue pen and marked all the places on the exhibit. And then they showed that to the court. So it was a diagram of Tammy's body. He marked three blue dots representing bruises on her upper right arm, a blue dot on the lower right arm, a mark on the chest above her left breast, and a blue dot on the left arm over the bicep. On the diagram of the back, there are bruises on the back of the right upper arm, on the lower part of the arm, and one on the left arm. I think the bruise on the chest was a knee. Was what? Think about it. A knee, yep. A knee. Hands and a knee. Mm -hmm. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. One person, yep, kneeled on her chest, held her down tightly while the other person smothered her. Yep. I don't think they even had to smother her. If they could pin her down, mm -hmm. she could not take in air. Well, that, that may be true. Maybe it was the and, knee. That and maybe it. they did smother her too, but she didn't have, they didn't strangle her. We know that. Oh, and no. She also didn't have any, um, like, there's no petechiae or anything. No. But yeah, a pillow could, somebody maybe did hold a pillow while the other person pinned them down. But like if someone kneels on your chest, guess what you can't do? Breathe. breathe. You can't yeah. breathe in. You mm -hmm. can't expand your chest. Yep. Uh, then they did indicate that the bruises most likely were pre-mortem or perimortem mm -hmm. because uh, he said it's pretty hard to bruise a body that much after death. Th these are things that happen while there's still heart, you know, heart circulating blood. So they did show some of her injuries to the courtroom. They did say the uh, injuries had to have occurred around the time of death. Then they talked about lividity. This is where blood pools at the lowest point on a person's body following their death. She had lividity in her back. Mm -hmm. And there was fixed lividity in her back, meaning so she that she laid, laid there a while. The yeah. What's that? Yeah, that she was on her back the whole time. Yeah. After she was dead. Yeah. Blake asked Christensen if lividity permits him to determine a cause of death. He said no. Blake asked what rigor mortis is. It's the stiffening of the joints and muscles a few hours after death. Blake asked if time of death can be determined off of rigor. He said it can be looked at and helps, but the longer a person has been dead, the wider the time of death estimates would be. Um. So he wasn't there the day she died, as we know. So he's relying on the external information from the coroner to help determine when she died. He said, based on what Chad said about her being cold and stiff at 6 a.m., it's likely she died a couple hours earlier. I'm breaking with him on that. I still think this had to have been around 1130. Mm -hmm. But 
it doesn't matter. I'm not the Emmy. <laughs> but. Right, right. But I mean, obviously, this had to have been a two person job. There is no way that Chad himself could have done that without Garth hearing. Because mm -hmm. remember, there's a kid home the whole time this is happening. Where was there? Maybe there wasn't. Maybe he wasn't home yet when this happened. Like Chad I said on Friday, I want to see Garth Daybell on the stand, right? Goddamn now. I do too. I want to hear what he has to say. Mm -hmm. You know, he had said, somebody made a point. I'm sorry, I can't remember which one of you was, but had commented on one of our posts today about this, saying they wonder if the person who threw up in the bathroom was actually Chad after killing Tammy. Mm -hmm. And if that's what Garth thought was his mom throwing up in the bathroom. Right. If maybe he heard someone throwing up and it was actually Chad and he said, oh, don't come in. Mom's sick. She's throwing up. She's not dressed. Don't come in here or something along those lines. If, if maybe someone did throw up and maybe it was Chad. Yeah, I, I think that's very likely. Because mm -hmm. if you hear somebody throwing up, I mean. Yep. Yep. So uh, people in the courtroom said Lori did not look at the monitor that showed Tammy's uh, bruises, showed her autopsy photos. Of course, she stayed, kept her head down, keep, keeping her little notes. So what we do know from Christensen, he said they did look at other causes of death and didn't find any of them to be likely in Tammy's death. He again stresses that the cause of death was asphyxia by the manner of death was homicide. And that's all Blake had, and that's where they broke for the day. So that's essentially what happened today. But I think that's pretty big news. We've wondered about that uh, yeah. talk screen for so long. And right. honestly, I, I I wish for Tammy's sake she had been drugged. My God, can you imagine you know, how terrifying? It's even worse to know that she wasn't. She was but, just probably waking up in the middle of an attack. Yeah, with someone on top of her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Keeping her from being able to breathe in whatever way. And all those bruises on her absolutely uh, confirm that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so after today, we know for sure that Lori did help murder JJ. She yeah. did. There's absolutely. I, not that I didn't already think so, but I think that uh, hair is very damning. Now, is the defense mm -hmm. going to bring in a witness that tries to tear that apart, a, a professional witness? Yeah, of course they will. Mm -hmm. They'd be insane not to. But when you look at it with all of the other evidence, mm -hmm. it's just further confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> VC, Lori's notes. I'm pretty. I'm a goddess. People love me. <laughs> or Mrs. Lori Daybell. In bubble letters or something. <laughs> well, back when she was still pretty bonkers to the bone at the jail, uh, we had been told that she was uh, filling notebooks with prophecy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what yep. that was all about. Mm -hmm. Well, the expert's going to say that's Lori's hair. I don't think they can get around that. But I think what they're going to say is that there's a million different reasons why her hair could be there. It doesn't really mean anything at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. They're going to talk about secondary transfer. They're going to talk about where that tape was before it was used to, t to t wrap up JJ. They'll do all that stuff that we're all already thinking. But added to all of this other information, the compilation of evidence... Yeah. 
I can't imagine that the jury didn't, that wasn't huge for the jury to hear that today. Yeah. I, I can't imagine there wasn't a collective, oh my God, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. So we don't know where they're going from here. They keep breaking up, you know, the technical stuff with uh, less sciencey stuff, less technical stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm still hoping we hear from Garth. I'm still hoping that we hear from Ian. I'm still hoping we hear from Melanie Pulowski. I'm still hoping right. that we hear from Natalie Pulowski. Who else? Yeah. You know? I don't know. I don't know at this point, mm-hmm. except for the experts that the other, the cell phone experts, again, whoever has yeah. the text messages. Yep. That'll be more FBI, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe. That could be. Rexburg PD, maybe. It could be. Yeah. But I, I still think all of those things are coming, but I think that we are, we're moving right along. I'm not going to mm-hmm. make a prediction on how long this is going to last because nobody really knows. And yeah. again, we're only about halfway through the uh, witness list. Right. Ish. But, you know, some of them, they just may not call. So we don't know for sure. The mm-hmm. Missouri friend. Yes, that would be mm-hmm. Audrey. That would be an interesting one. For sure. <laughs> Uh, also, what about Jason Mao? Mm-hmm. That would be an interesting one. I don't know. We'll see. And and it may be that they've decided that they've told the story without needing to get a lot more of those players involved. Right. Very I still possible. think that, but again, I mean, they mentioned Ian Pulowski today, but I still think Ian is such a key witness. I'd be very surprised if they don't call him. Well, because he walked in on this situation completely yeah. unaware had no prior history and so he did he turned over a lot of information and his ex-wife natalie also yeah uh who got involved and got some information off a computer i think Mm -hmm. and you know did some other weirdly natalie wanted to make sure that whoever these people were that her children were safe being around them yes and promptly discovered that they really weren't yeah yeah Yeah. most definitely So we've got all of that and then just more of the the technology part of it that is so key. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, plenty more. Plenty more to come this week. It'll be a very Mm -hmm. interesting week. So I will be in the courtroom on Wednesday. Christy, you're going to be in the courtroom on Friday. Yes. Uh, Not sure. What Do you know what Darla's plan is this week? She can't be there any other time. She's moving this week. She's sick. Right. Yeah. So uh, definitely a couple more days that we're going to have to rely on uh, other people in the courtroom. Thank God they're there. Yeah. Uh, but we will do what we can this week to be there as well. Yes, we so and we'll live every night like we have uh, throughout yeah. uh, this uh, belligerent turd circus. But we will. <laughs> it's not nearly as belligerent without John Pryor, though. It isn't, yeah. But that's the thing. I think with Pryor, you kind of see what the strategy is by the stuff he's saying and doing. I think that uh, John Thomas and Jim Archibald are different because yes. we're not seeing what their strategy is so much, mm-hmm. except for the playing dumb, I think, is to play to the jury yeah. and is also to give the impression that they're incompetent when we know for a fact that they are not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and to dumb down the information. I mean, if you're on this jury... Let's say you're on the jury. You're not a true crimer. You right. don't watch CSI. None of us are getting on these juries. <laughs> you're hearing a lot of terms that you don't know anything about. 
breaking them down right. into small bites is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah, for sure. Well, you guys, thank you. If you want to support us, you can do so over at truecrimesquad.com. Many of you had. We appreciate you so much. So and I don't much. feel like you have to. You guys are amazing. Oh, but yeah. we do really we appreciate, appreciate you being here. With yeah. Us. Absolutely. Yep. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll be keeping a close eye on things tomorrow. We'll be back for a live tomorrow night. And we will go from there. And happy May, by the way. Yeah. May 1st. Yeah. This year's almost halfway done. How? How? I don't know. I'm not really, but I mean, but we're kind of getting there. We are. Anyway. Also, of course, on the 5th, there is a uh, hearing for Chad. Yes. Yeah, it's happening at, in that same Ada County courtroom. So will the public be allowed to attend? I would assume so. Uh, we'll see. So we're I mean, it's hoping. been open to the public all along, so I don't know why yeah. not, but. Well, that's going to be interesting because what are they going to do? Are they finally going to schedule this? Or then what will they have to schedule a scheduling hearing? They may. It's, it's tedious. But right. I'd really like to know when Chad's trial is. Yeah. yeah. The prosecutor would probably like to know, too. Mm -hmm. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Nicole said, I can't wait to hear the BS that comes out of Chad's case. My God. Can you imagine? Oh, boy. Chad's an idiot. Just an idiot to not mm -hmm. uh, plead guilty now and get this over with well i i am sure that they that his defense team is watching very closely to what's happening and, yeah, and that's why be. they're in, in court all day every day and doing what they're doing because mm -hmm. this is giving them a very good idea of whether or not they go to trial or not yep yep but this is my concern here because i think from the outside looking in it's really easy to look at it and go this dude should plea I mean, come on, look at all of this evidence. It makes him look so culpable, so guilty. His lawyer has a lot of hubris. He is very yes. arrogant. Well, he's we about as arrogant as Chad is. Yes, he is. That day in the courtroom in Fremont, where Archibald had filed a motion for so bad. asking the court if Chad and Lori could have a sit-down meeting together with their attorneys to talk strategy. And that's an extremely unusual request. They aren't allowed to have any contact, obviously, because they're co-conspirators. And But he said that they were talking to Lori about potentially taking a plea, mm -hmm. and she didn't want to do it without talking it out with her husband. So he said, I really just want my client to be able to have a conversation with her husband. Yeah. Okay. So that's their premise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sitting, what, 10 feet from them if is that... Chad and Pryor. And Pryor hops up uh, on his pedestal to pontificate all puffed up about disgust strategy. I don't, I'm not talking strategy. I have a strategy. We don't. He absolutely threw them under the bus. It was so rude and shocking. Uh, clearly, uh, Thomas and Archibald weren't expecting it. No one was expecting it. We were all just oh. kind of dumbfounded looking at him with his red freaking face, you know? Oh, yeah. It was, it was vicious. It, it was a real, ain't nobody's going to tell me how to try my case. Yeah. And 
the resting toad face just looked straight forward the whole time. He never he looked at Laurie. No. He never broke, uh, you know, his character at all. No. And But th that day I went, Chad doesn't stand a chance because his lawyer's making decisions based on his own ego. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. That was very clear that day. And that's fine, Chad. You can get the death penalty for all I care. And you chose wrong, bro, in so many ways. So... <laughs> That's it, guys. We better go. Everybody's probably ready to go to bed or have a glass of wine or do a something. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All righty, guys. We'll be back tomorrow night. Take care of yourselves, please. This has been yet another production of the True Crime Squad. Bye, everybody. Bye.